On this week's Adam Schefter Podcast, it's week three of the NFL season, and we're going to talk to former NFL wide receiver Torrey Smith, who just announced his retirement from the NFL. And we'll be joined by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver Chris Godwin, who's off to a torrid start two weeks into the year. And we'll get a breakdown of week three from the ESPN statistics and analytics guru, Evan Kaplan. But first, a word about the week that was and what's gone on in the league the last few days. It started week two when we saw two marquee franchises, the Steelers and the Saints, lose two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks in Ben Roethlisberger and Drew Brees. Changed the fortunes of the season for both teams. In the case of Pittsburgh, with Ben Roethlisberger gone for the year, it makes you think that Baltimore becomes the heavy favorite to win the AFC North and will have to fend off a challenge from the Cleveland Browns, though it'll be up to Mason Rudolph, the man who takes over for Ben Roethlisberger, to keep Pittsburgh's hopes alive. And of course, Pittsburgh must have strong hopes because it already traded its first-round pick to the Miami Dolphins from Minka Fitzpatrick, a cornerback who drew an awful lot of interest around the league. But Pittsburgh feels like with its defense improving, Minka Fitzpatrick will upgrade that defense and make it better. And Pittsburgh's going to have to win with some defense now, not a Ben Roethlisberger-led offense. And think about this. A year, two years ago, the Steelers were led by Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. None of them will play for Pittsburgh the remainder of this season. As for the New Orleans Saints without Drew Brees, think about how close the Saints were to making it to the Super Bowl last year. One call that everybody knows about from the NFC Championship game that went against the Saints and for the Rams cost them an appearance in the Super Bowl where they would have had a chance to beat the New England Patriots. And the fact that Drew Brees then goes out and hurts his thumb in week two the next year shows you just how tough it is year to year to repeat and to count on being back to that big game. Nobody goes back every year unless you're the New England Patriots. They are immune to all rules. But the Saints were on the doorstep of greatness in each of the past two postseasons only to see the Minnesota Miracle and then the call that changed the way that the league views those types of plays with new rules. Saints without Drew Brees now have to turn to Teddy Bridgewater, who's a steadying force, but I think Taysom Hill still brings the most upside, and I still think we'll see Taysom Hill at quarterback at some point for the New Orleans Saints. And then some other stories, cornerbacks in news. We mentioned Minka Fitzpatrick being traded to Pittsburgh, Miami gutting its team, stockpiling draft picks, five number one picks and second round picks in the next two years, loaded with picks, but devoid of some key players like Laramie Tunsil and Minka Fitzpatrick. As for Jalen Ramsey, requested his trade, spoke, and clearly Jacksonville wants to move on from him, and he wants to move on from Jacksonville. But Jacksonville's not going to move on from Jalen Ramsey until it gets a package that it wants, that it's comfortable with, and that it thinks is fair. And we know that it's way more than a first-round pick, which is basically the price that the Steelers paid for Minka Fitzpatrick. We'll see what Jacksonville could get back for Jalen Ramsey. But the trade deadline's October 29th, and it's just a matter of time before Jalen Ramsey is dealt. And then the news, of course, on Tuesday morning, the New York Giants benching Eli Manning, a two-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Super Bowl MVP, to go to Daniel Jones, the rookie first-round draft pick. And everybody knew that at some point this season, Daniel Jones 
was going to get the opportunity to start. But nobody thought it would be Tuesday, September 17th, which was a much quicker timeline than anyone would have thought. But the Giants felt like a team that was missing wide receivers, struggling on defense, needed a injection of energy, feel like Daniel Jones brings certain elements that Eli Manning doesn't. And so Eli Manning now goes to the bench and the madness of the NFL continues. And you look at the last month, all the news that has happened, Andrew Luck retiring, Antonio Brown with everything that's gone on with him from Oakland to New England to the accusations of three different sexual assaults to the player trades that we've seen, Jadevian Clowney to Seattle, Laramie Tunsil to Houston, Minka Fitzpatrick to the Pittsburgh Steelers, to the injuries of quarterbacks, to the benching of quarterbacks. It has been about as busy a period as the NFL could ever expect over the course of one month. Very rarely is the NFL that busy. We're busy today with this podcast. And first up is the great man and former NFL wide receiver, Torrey Smith. All right, joining us now is a man who played eight NFL seasons, four with the Ravens, two with the 49ers, one with the Panthers, one with the Eagles, and posted his retirement video on uninterrupted last Friday. Torrey Smith. Torrey, thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it. And I'd like to know what went into the decision to walk away from the game of football at the age of 30. Yeah, for me, it was a combination of things. Um, you know, number one being the situation. Uh, I told my wife before the year that it was going to be my last year anyway. Um, I had surgery after playing the Eagles in October of last season. And uh, I had surgery and everything went well. I was fine, um, at least what we thought. And then when we stopped in the off season, um, my leg basically, like, shut down and, like, we still don't know why, but it wasn't right. I wasn't able to jog. I wasn't able, for sure, wasn't able to sprint, jump, anything. And so I worked my tail off, and I was able to make it back um, for camp and healthy enough to play. And, I, you know, I, like I said, I worked myself back. And But during the offseason, I learned that, you know, like it was a, kind of an eye-opener to me when I'm supposed to be healthy, but, like, I couldn't go play with my kids and you know my son's five he wants to go outside and play and I couldn't do it um get my daughter out of the crib my knees are hurting and it kind of just like a little flash of like you know if you have some knee issues down the line and I kind of was starting to think a little bit beyond the game like is it worth it is it not and so I was willing to you know take a role in, in Carolina to to finish up here and play here I wanted to I'm not gonna say I didn't and then when I was released um it just didn't make as much sense to to move and to go to a new place. How concerned are you about the long-term effects of what you put your body through, not just the eight NFL seasons, but the time you played in college and the time you played in high school and how that will impact your future life? Well, I think it's something you have to be concerned about. I mean, you watch the the guys who play before you, the, the older guys, and, you know, some people struggle, and some people are doing perfectly fine. Um, so I don't try to lump everything in, in one basket. But, you know, I've been I've been running for some years, <laughs> you know. Um, I've been playing for a while. So um, I understand that, you know, things can happen to your body uh, down the line because of things you did when you were younger. And that that's if you're an athlete or not. 
So I don't really kind of put that on to a box, but you know, having a direct trauma to my to my knee, I, I do know that you know there's going to be some issues there down the line. But um, I'm happy that that I'm you know I'm in okay health now, and I don't see anything in the near future that should probably stop me from at least being comfortable. You mentioned some people struggle and some people are fine post football. Ever stop to think why that is? Because it's amazing to think some people have gotten beaten up during their careers, and I see them functioning at a high level, and others are limping along and struggling physically post-football. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's simple. You know, everyone's body's different. Um, everyone's body's different. I mean, everyone gets all caught up in, uh, you know, CTE and all these other things, but, like, there's guys who had plenty of concussions when they were playing, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with them as aging adults, so... Um, the body is different, and I think we, we all need to, to realize that. And um, one person's situation, you can use it for current players, right? Mm-hmm. One person might tweak a hamstring, and he's out for six, seven weeks. And people are like, what's wrong with this dude? Like, you know, coaches, players, and everyone, like, what's wrong with them? But everyone's body is different. And that's probably one of the biggest things I learned from this game is that everyone's body is different. Everyone heals different. Everyone handles conditioning different. Everyone's different. So, uh you just, for me, it's better to be informed and to know what's out there. So, therefore, I know to look for the signs. I know how to be more, you know, preventive of being out in front of things. And that just makes more sense to me. In the video that you posted, you thanked the game of football for showing you how to be a man. How did football show you how to be a man, Tori? Yeah, you think about, I think about all of the, the discipline the hard work, the sacrifice, the putting someone before myself. Um, you know, all of these things are really like life skills that you have to have and you learn simply by being dedicated to the game of football. And more than that, um, having the men around me that I could look at, that I could see, you know, what a man should look like, what a man should be like, what a husband should be like, what a father should be like. These are all things that wouldn't have happened for me if it wasn't for the game of football. So I'm definitely grateful for that. And uh, the impact that the game, it, it literally changed not only my life, but, you know, literally everyone that's around me. And the way I grew up, um, it's, it's amazing that, you know, simply by playing a game has been able to change the future for, you know, my immediate family. And I guess that's in the obvious ways, right? Financially, you are able to do things that you were never able to do while you were growing up. Is that correct, Tori? Absolutely. Uh, financially, but because the finances are removed, uh, there's opportunity there. You know, I had to play a sport because I knew my mom couldn't pay for college. So I had to figure out different ways. There's military, you know, you can obviously go into student loan debt, which is a, a scam. But, you know, for me, I like my son, if he chooses my boys or my daughter, they choose the doing the extracurricular activity, they can do it because they want to, not because they need it as a tool to, to get out. Um, they don't have to worry about not being stable. They don't have to worry about moving, living, being in the shelter, whatever it may be. They don't have to worry about a lot of different things. And simply having stability eliminates so many other things that we often forget about. Did you feel the pressure of having to get a scholarship as you were going through high school? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's just the, that's just the way it is. Um, you know, you ask any and every kid that, you know, they're you trying to make sure you have food on the, your mom, your parents, whoever you're living with, trying to make sure you have food on the table. 
the bare necessities, the things that you need for life. And, you know, it'd be a tall task when you're just trying, when you're surviving that way to try to go out and get the school paid for by your parents. So for me, I knew my mom couldn't do it. Not that she didn't want to do it, but, you know, it just wasn't feasible. So um, I knew I had to go out and earn it. And, again, for me, it was that or through the military. I didn't want to have any debt. So if you hadn't gotten the scholarship, what branch of the military would you have joined? Um, that's interesting. Uh, my father actually served in the Army in 82nd. Um, I know plenty of Marines and uh, a lot of folks in the Navy. So for me, honestly, I, I it became very clear that I was going to be able to create a lane. So I never really processed which branch I would actually try to get into. But you ever stop to think how your life would have worked out if you had gone into the military at all? Like how your life would be different today? I think about my life in so many different ways. I mean, we don't have to bring up the military. I I broke my leg my junior year in in high school. And all these coaches were recruiting me. Before then, I break my leg, the phone stops ringing. And because they had questions of if I would be fast or would I be able to run fast enough. And so from there, I learned, like, man, you have to have a backup plan. Like, (laughs) you know, you can't worry about the, the scholarships and all these different things if, you can't even take care of yourself. So for me, I locked in on my academics and, you know, I would have been comfortable with whatever, but I know the journey wouldn't have been as smooth. And that's why I try to do as much as I can to help others because I do know that like literally one decision could derail or change everything. So it's important to be a realist. I don't feel like I'm any better than anyone. I could have been in anyone's shoes, whether that's at the highest of the highs for them or the lowest of the lows for them. Like that could be me. So that's really one of the main Another main reason of why I try to help as much as I do. You refer to helping others. How is it that you impart this wisdom that you've been fortunate enough to pick up through the years that you did? I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you on the phone if it wasn't for my coaches, my mentors. I think about my guidance counselor, Miss Williams, middle school, who I still continue to stay in contact with. Like all those folks, like believed in me and, and, and gave me hope. And for me. And the things we may not have had at at times. So for me, that meant the world. Um, I know they didn't have to do it, but they did. And it made a difference in my life. So I know the power of that, the power of just a little bit of help, the power of just a little bit of support. So I try to go out and and do the same thing and and try to rally people because um, oftentimes it's hard for you to understand things when you haven't lived, uh, when you don't have a lived experience, but I do. So I know there's a lot of potential and a lot of people, but sometimes they just need a little help, you know, getting to the finish line. What's your message to these young kids of today, Tori? I have so many different messages. Like, it does, it, like, I, I, we'd be going on forever, but, Go ahead, you know, man. one yeah, of the that's, biggest... a, that's the beauty of a podcast. <laughs> we got forever, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the biggest things for me is that, and, and that's really kind of how I live, is that, you know, in, in sports, they tell you all the time, like, to control what you can control, but that's life as well. You know, you can't control who your parents are. You can't control what decision they're making. You can't control where you live. You can't control your school district. You can't control a lot of things as a kid. These are all things that other people have to have going for them to benefit you. But you can control your attitude, you know, your preparation, your the way you – your behavior, the way you act in school, how your grades are in school. And those things that to me is what I viewed as my tool of making it out. And so – I try to tell them that because when you're 
frustrated because what's going on at home, whether there's drugs, abuse, or whatever involved that you're witnessing at home, these are all things that you really can't control. But if you take it and you focus your time on things that you can't, you'll realize that you can shape a better future for yourself than if you sit there and you soak on all the things that you can't control, which honestly, it does consume you. Have you given yourself the time to sit back and think about all you had to overcome to get to where you are today, where you play eight NFL seasons, where you're a two-time Super Bowl winner, where you, I would assume, are set financially now and can go mm-hmm. on with the rest of your life in a more comfortable way than it was while you were growing up. Do you allow yourself a moment to take pride in everything that you've been able to do and overcome? I definitely have, and uh, especially recently, you know. Like, for me to be here and, um, you know, I see my, I, I want to see my mom. You know, we've we've been through a lot, so to see her and see she's doing well, see she doesn't have to worry about certain things and to know that, you know, I had the choice to play, to keep playing. But I didn't have to because of financially I'm okay. You know, so I don't have to jeopardize my health. I'd be lying to you. If you would have told me that if this was year three and I felt the same way I feel now, I would probably fight a lot harder to try to make sure that I can try to accrue more income. And it it, it hits you when you're like, man, like I have a choice. And it's because of the game, it's because of the time. And, you know, I, I don't have to jeopardize my health or my future in other ways. And I don't have to go into a situation that's not, you know, meaningful or it doesn't make you happy. You know what I mean? So um, I wanted to – I'd be lying to you, Adam, if I said I didn't want to play and then, you know, walk off my last game. You know, I, I wanted to do that. But, you know, when things change, you have to go look in the mirror and – you have to look at your situation. You know, I have a son that's in kindergarten now, um, a daughter that's nine months, and another son that's three years old. And so my wife has them. You start thinking about things a little differently. And for me, I kind of had this issue from when I was growing up about stability. Like, that means the world to me. Like, my son growing up in the same school district and 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 not switching, going to 50,000 schools or Knowing exactly where he's coming home to every night, like that means the world to me. So I want uh I want that for him. And he's in kindergarten now and you know, the timing is kinda right to begin the school year where I can get him back going in Maryland and uh I could transition to the next life. So you're in Maryland? I will be. I'm in Charlotte now. You're but in I will Charlotte? be in Maryland when I'm done. Yep. But you're going back to Maryland, the Baltimore area, I take it? Yep. And that's where yep. you'll settle Baltimore. in? Absolutely. You know, uh, I'm, I'm a Virginia boy. I'm from Virginia. And yep. uh, to go to uh, – I tell people I, I'm from Virginia, but I became a man in Maryland. Hmm. You know, I went to college at the University of Maryland, and I was drafted by the Ravens, played there those four years. And, um, you know, that the eight years of my life, you know, it, it meant the world to me. All of my adult life is there. So um, that's home for me, and I'm looking forward to getting back. And what is next for you in the life of Tory Smith? What's the next chapter going to include? The next chapter is going to do, include a lot of different things. Um, the first thing that I'm looking forward to is time with my family. Um, I'm looking forward to creating a, a bigger impact in the communities that I live in, especially in Baltimore City. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to possibly be a colleague of yours and to uh, interact with folks on the media side and, and be able to talk about players, the things that, 
you know, I looked up to growing up in terms of their journey, what they had to overcome, um, why do players think the way they think, their preparation, the things that go into it that I think are beneficial beyond the X's and O's. So um, I'm looking forward to just trying to, you know, just, again, just appreciate this journey, appreciate this life, and try to help as many people as I can. Going to come into the media, huh? Yeah, it might be a little. I don't know if I can get the sources like you have. I don't know if I can want those sources, but uh, I think I, you know, I, I like one thing about I've enjoyed about the media. You know, it's always a love hate relationship as a player. But the one thing I've always enjoyed about the media and I respect it is that you have the ability to portray the way a person is, right? Meaning, like, I the way I can talk about Adam Schefter in a way that will make you seem like you're the greatest guy. Or I can talk about your journey or the things that make you go. Mm-hmm. And thousands or millions of people can see that. And the most important thing about it is not that they saw it, but that there's people that are just like you. And so when I see guys that are in the NFL and being in the locker room, you hear their stories and you're like, people don't know this. Like, take a guy like Cam Newton, for example. A guy that he gets picked on a lot, you know, from his the way he dresses to – you know, how he was when he was younger, the media or whatnot. But then I think about the Cam Newton when we went to go take our kids to get ice cream. The dad, he has just him and his kids, me and my kids. He has them, his whole gang, I have my whole gang. And I see the way he interacts with his kids, the way they admire him and the way he loves them. Like, I think those are all things that people can relate to. And I think it's important to talk about players and share their stories in a way that makes them more relatable. So that for a kid that may be in a certain situation, he can have something that he truly should be looking up to. Well, that's one of the great things. That's why I love doing this podcast, is to get a Tory Smith on and to hear him talk about himself and to hear the kind of life that he has had and what he's overcome to get to where he is, which I ordinarily don't get to do on a day-to-day basis. My job is yeah. more transactional. Who's getting hired? Who's getting fired? Who's getting a contract extension, who's getting cut, who's getting traded, right? Like, that's my Mm -hmm. job. But this is a chance to sit down and talk to you about the kind of guy that you are. And you bring up the idea of wanting to portray people, how they should be portrayed. How should people know Tory Smith? How should you be portrayed? Um, I think by me, is what you see is what you get. You know, um, I've been able to... I, and I and I take it all. You know, I take the highs and the lows. That is a player and off the field, you know. But for me, I think the one thing that stands about me, for anyone that's seen me or anyone that's familiar with me in the media or my family, just community and family. And it goes together because, like, you, I realize how important that is. One, it's true to me. <clears throat> Everything that I, I – the way I act, the way my family is, like, I prayed and envisioned that long before it became a reality. And so now that it's there, like, my wife is just as committed as I am to helping others. So I realized and recognized the responsibility that we have to do more and to be more. So um, anyone that's around me, they see that. It's, it's authentic. It's not fake. And it's, it's not. And it's partially that way because it was real. It was my journey. But it means a lot to me to know that, you know, I wouldn't have been where I was without folks helping me. And so I want to make sure that I'm doing my part to help others. So there's no way you come back and play football, correct? Absolutely not. This is a <laughs> retirement retirement. Right? I'm not on the fence. You know, if I wanted to, I could have played. But um, I just think I think the timing was right. You know, it's kind of like the perfect storm. And so I'm um, thankful for the NFL. 
Um, I'm thankful for all the relationships, all the coaches that I've been able to play with. Um, I mean, I played with some, I played on some amazing teams with some great men. And I think about the coaches, the great men, the coaches that I've been around. Like, Ron Rivera is one of the, the best men that I've known. Um, I think about John Harbaugh. You know, he's awesome. Um, he's always been the same. He's always been consistent as long as I've known him. Too and great, absolutely. And I think about my receiver coaches. I think of Adam Henry out in, in Cleveland Browns. He's in Cleveland right now with uh, Odell and Jarvis, who he coached in college. I think about Jim Hosler, who I was with in Baltimore and also at the end in Carolina. I mean, that man helped groom me as a player in so many different ways. And Bobby Ingram, you know, talking with him about being a player and about life or whatever, like, these are like, these. all these men played a part in helping to shape me to who I am. And so I'm so grateful for the NFL experience and the, the leadership there and the opportunity to, you know, impact others around you. You know, it's, it's been a blessing. You play eight years and you win the two Super Bowls and you play with all these great men like that. Is there a moment mm-hmm. to you that stands out about your NFL career? Is it winning a Super Bowl? Is it landing a contract? Is it doing something in your community, Tori? I think it's everything. I think about, I, th- I can think about something special literally from everywhere I've been. Like in Baltimore, like everyone knows Baltimore is like home for me. Baltimore is like family. The city and the organization. And so I, I just remember the night my brother had passed and the team be- helping me get through all of that. The fans, the support they had helping me get through all of that. Like, and winning the Super Bowl that same year, literally months later, like this. There's nothing that can replace that time period and that meaning, not only to myself, but to my family. I think about going to San Francisco and we struggled. Um, it was a tough, it was a very tough two years for me personally and, and playing out there. It was, it was, it was tough, but I think about, um, you know, the, I like Jed York, you know, I, I love Jed, Jed York to death. And I think about, you know, being a part of something where, you know, you almost watch him learning and grow as a as a as a young owner in this league and um I, I think he's gonna do some great things there. And I and just being in a, a different a completely different part of the of the country that I never would have been in and seeing the history of the forty ers the legends that come through there, Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, um, just seeing how much they mean to the people and what they were able to accomplish. And you think about Philadelphia, I mean, the most passionate fans in, in all of sports, you think about uh, playing with a young playmaker and Carson Wentz. You think about hmm. Nick Foles, Philly Special. You think about the police figure. <laughs> and it's right in my wife's hometown. And there's nothing that tops that. And the luckiest play I've ever been a part of with the knee bouncing off, Neil, uh, with the ball bouncing off knees, uh, Neil's knee. I mean, that was the craziest thing I've seen and been a part of. And to see the fans there during that parade, yeah, man, I mean, uh, man, I, it's, it's, I still get goosebumps thinking about it. Wait, so Philly and, was your and, wife's hometown? Philly was your wife's hometown? Yeah, she's from outside, in, she's from Concha Hagen, like 20 minutes outside the city. And was she a big Eagles fan growing up, or she didn't care? Yeah, her folks were, her folks were. <laughs> so they must, uh, yeah. boy, so, uh, so her, their daughter marries a great guy. And he helps them win a Super Bowl. Yeah, it was their first one. That was, I mean, it was man. I'm telling you, it, it, there was nothing. I'm, I guess t- I keep telling people like I was in two different phases of my life. Yeah, but that Philadelphia one, man. I, the more I start to think about, it, the more I think it, 
it's just something I, I literally I just told you about how my brother had passed when he won the Super Bowl. So that like that has a lot. Like there's it's tough to replace that. But I just remember being young, I'm twenty two, twenty three years old when we won it back then. And all of my family there celebrating, my other siblings, my mom, you know, and, and we were just celebrating on the field and I think you fast forward to Philadelphia and I'm on the field and now I had two kids of my own. And we're celebrating on the field, they're throwing the confetti up and I mean it was just crazy. And I look at, I just saw a picture from the other day and I was like, Man, this is this is unbelievable, you know, and I, I'm and I know some legends who never had the opportunity to even play in the Super Bowl, so to be a part of two two great organizations, two great cities and win, man, I don't even I don't even know what I did to deserve all of that. You know, the best part of these jobs, Tori, whether it's playing football or covering football or being any part of football, the best part of these jobs sometimes is sharing the experiences with loved ones. And that sounds like something you learned in the difference between winning Super Bowl forty seven with Baltimore and Super Bowl fifty two with Philadelphia. That when you share it with somebody else, it means that much more. Yeah, I agree, man. And like I said, it's special. Like even to this day, just going back to Philadelphia, whether I'm going to get a cheesesteak or whatever, and people are still going crazy. <laughs> you know, like they like it's it's like man, like they they were waited so long for that, and I happen to be a small piece of that, and I'm very thankful. You have to pay for the cheesesteak in Philly. Uh. Occasionally, but they take care of me up there. <laughs> they take they take care of you up there. <laughs> well, that, that's a good thing, right? Absolutely. But now that I'm retired, I got to make sure I'm on the right side of the fitness journey. Or going up there and getting those cheese things is going to be a good idea. <laughs> now, what has it been like for you the first couple of weeks of the season to watch the games and see the game go on without you? Um, you know what? It's actually been a great experience. Everyone's like, man, it's going to be weird. I literally was practicing the game plan and I, you know, I wasn't expecting to be released. So for me, it was like a, you know, it was a weird feeling. Like I'm watching the game maybe seven days later as I was practicing, but I didn't feel any type of way. I felt like, man, like I was complete. I was content. Like, and I was able to enjoy the game. And my son's old enough that he knows like what's going on now. He knows the players, you know, and I was, I was able to talk to him about it. And, you know, he's asking the normal kids stuff like, Dad, do you know so-and-so or all these things? And, like, I just felt like it felt really good to just be dad and, and, and flip through the channels and not have an agenda or, or want someone to win or someone to lose. I, we were just watching the game, and it felt amazing. I should ask you before I let you go, surprised at all that Colin Kaepernick hasn't gotten another chance? Surprised? No, I'm not surprised because I think it's clear that um, people, teams aren't bold enough to pick him up. And at this point, we know it's not a talent issue. They know he's more than talented enough. Um, I, I think the the ownership of the leaders, I mean, I don't, I don't think they're willing to handle the media that comes with it. And I think that's weak, in my opinion. I say this all the time. We have men in this league who've uh, been arrested for selling and doing drugs, um, for beating women, for DUIs, for all kinds of different things. And all he did was take a knee. He didn't hurt anyone. He didn't hurt himself. All he did was take a knee. So 
to me, that always stands out. Um, but, I mean, I would like it for someone to give him a shot. I mean, he hasn't even had the opportunity to have a workout. So, um, I don't know, man. I, 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 I'm very – I don't – I'm not hopeful at all that, that he'll get a shot, but it's the right thing to do. Um, he wants to play. He's been working out. And he deserves to play. But um, everyone runs their, biz- their business differently, and uh, we'll see what happens down the line. What would it take for him to get a workout? A workout. Because that's what I'm saying. Like, he can't even get a workout. That is, that's the part that drives me crazy the most. I literally just tweeted about that. Like, he couldn't even, he can't even get a workout. Like, forget signing. There's quarterbacks literally dropping like flies. Yes. And he, he can't even get a workout, a proven guy. Like, I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense, but. That's I mean, odd, right? Like, that's odd. Like, the yeah. New York Jets have Luke Falk on the roster, Trevor Simeon, yeah. and they can't bring in this guy to take a look at him. Yeah. And I don't mean the Jets yeah. in particular. Anybody that loses a quarterback, right? That's because it's not, to them, it's not strictly a football issue. Um, the longer this has gone on, I think it's uh, people don't want to deal with what they consider a distraction. Even though I played with them, I played with uh, – Eric Reed in, in Carolina, like, it's only a distraction initially with the media, but it literally doesn't bother anybody else. I tell people that are confused by the distraction thing, I said, he's doing this before the game. I said, if he was taking a knee in cover two in a deep safety during the game, then we'd have issues. <laughs> but he's not. He's doing it before the game. You know what's happening. He's a great teammate. He's a great leader in the community. So what's going on? That's the same with Cats. Kev's not bothering anyone. He, he protests before the game. Yes, if you ask him questions, he's going to tell you, he's going to educate you. But he doesn't bother anyone. Like, it's not harming anyone. He's, he's protesting peacefully, and it does not hurt the team. I don't, I don't understand it, but, um, again, guess it's not for me. It doesn't make any sense. Well, you could wonder about that when you get into the media, too. That could be a point that you make there, Tori. That'll be one of the first issues you could work on when you come join us. <laughs> Yeah, at this point, man, I, I feel like before, long before I even hung up the quiz, I've been I've been speaking on his behalf and trying to for for years. And um, the decision makers and the, the people are more concerned about um, things that they feel. I feel like it's all about money, and not necessarily gaining money but losing money. Because you ask me, why can't a team like Jacksonville sign him? Nick's out for a while. You have a cool-looking quarterback. I like his attire. But you have a guy like Kaepernick. I mean, if you're talking about if it's about money, you go to Jacksonville, he can fill that thing up. Yeah. And he can win you some games. Get just somebody just give him a shot to get in the door. You never know what can happen. But he can't even get a workout. So and almost like te- beating a dead horse. And make the team a lot more relevant than it has been. On to another right. quarterback. On to another quarterback. Your former teammate in Carolina, Cam Newton, He's been battling an ankle injury. Don't know whether he's going to play this week. Had off-season shoulder surgery. Seems to be banged up. Could you see a scenario in which he would be like Andrew Luck and just walk from the game? No. I don't see that at all. Cam's too passionate. And that's not saying Andrew Luck isn't passionate because if anybody understands Andrew Luck, I do. I was at that point three months ago. Well, my knee wasn't getting much better, and I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. So I understand him. But Cam has worked his tail off. 
And he doesn't want people doubting him that he can't do it. And so I know that's the type of competitor that he is. So I just don't. That would never happen in season. Never. What are your expectations from what we will see from him the remainder of this season? I think he's going to do well. I think he's going to go out. I think he's going to um, play the way he, he's expected to play. Um, I, I just hope and pray that he can get his health back because I know what type of player he is when he's healthy. I mean, Cam's a warrior. I've known him for years. We came in together. But to play with him last year, I have so much respect for the things that he does on the field. Um, and I, I hope that, uh, you know, he, he gets his health back and he can go out there and prove everybody wrong because there's a lot of people who wanted to fail. And before I let you go, Tori, you played the eight years in the NFL. Is there one player that you played with or against whose talents just took your breath away? One guy you just looked at and said, man, this guy is unbelievable. On my team or on other teams? Could be either or. i tell you what, a guy that I – obviously I've played with some great players, Ray Lewis, Avery, Lodi Nada, Terrell Suggs, like legends. But one guy that – surprised me. And I'm not going to say surprised because we played against each other in college and I thought he was that good in college. But I I wanted to make sure. And I thought he was that good in the league. But it's different when you see that person prepare and you see that person play up close when he's on your side. And that's Luke Keekley. Luke Keekley prepares and this dude is all over the place. I remember looking at game plans and scouting reports back in college and they'd say, uh, this guy's averaging like 14 tackles or 15 tackles a game. Like, yeah, right. They're patting this dude's stats. There's no way. And then you go back and look, and this cat's making solo tackles all over the place. And uh, to play with him and to watch him, the way he prepares, the way he leads, the same with Christian McCaffrey, too. He's going to be a, a, a beast for years to come and, and a great lead and a great representative for this league. Um, I think that both of those, both of those two cats are, are special. Well, you had a special run, too, and you will do special things ahead, and I really appreciate you taking time to do this today. For those who don't know, I reached out to Tori in the spring to see if he wanted to do a guest podcast, interview one of his teammates, which we didn't get to do, but you know what? I'm thankful that we didn't do that, and I'm thankful that we were able to do this, where you were able to give me some time the week after you announced your retirement, and I wish you the very best with whatever you decide to do next. I know you'll do it very, very well, Tori. Thanks, I appreciate you. And now you can see why Torrey Smith had the great run that he did in the NFL and the great things that are ahead. Before we get to another NFC South wide receiver, Chris Godwin, first a word from Vivid Seats. Football fans, my job is to report breaking news. And speaking of, I recently received a tip. Vivid Seats is offering ESPN fans 10% off football tickets, but you have to act fast. Head to VividSeats.com and enter promo code ESPN at checkout to receive 10% off your first order. Vivid Seats is the official ticket partner of ESPN, and with its 100% buyer guarantee, there's no reason to miss a game this year. Don't wait. This offer ends soon. So hit to VividSeats.com, get off the couch, and get into the action. Your team needs you. Uh, joining us now, man coming off a career-high 121-yard receiving performance last Thursday night against the Carolina Panthers, getting ready for Sunday's big game against the New York Giants. We bring in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver, Chris Godwin. Chris, thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me on. Chris, what has clicked for you in this year's third NFL season? Uh, honestly, I, it's it's kind of tough to say, but I I think the biggest thing would just be uh, 
I'm just getting more comfortable, you know, just more comfortable playing at this level, more comfortable with, with what I'm seeing from defenses and, and, and taking the coaching that I'm getting and, and kind of translating it to the game field. What does it take to get more comfortable like that? I, it really just takes a lot of reps. Um, it's a lot of repetitions in practice, uh, both in, uh, in the off-season program and in training camp, and then you know throughout the week of practice. Um, just just really all those all those uh, repetitions, all the film, all the time that you spend watching film, and kind of just just putting it all together. I know it's only two weeks. Look, it's a long season. You've got fourteen more regular season games, but. What were you expecting coming into this year? Were you expecting to have the kind of production that you've had the first two weeks of the season, Chris? Uh, honestly, uh, like every time I go out there, you know, I, I have high expectations for myself. Um, I, I think everybody should, you know, because if you're not going out there expecting the best things from yourself, I think you're in the wrong business. Um, you know, so I just go out there and, and I approach every day with the with the intent to get you know, to get better, to get a little bit better so that when game time comes, you know, I like where I stand. I feel comfortable with, with my preparation. What kind of chemistry have you built up with your other opposite wide receiver, Mike Evans, as the Buccaneers' top two receivers? Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's been really good. Um, I, I think we built, we built um, a, lot of, a lot of chemistry together. Um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, since I've gotten in here, you know, Mike's been such a great you know, influence on me, such a great role model, you know, someone that I can look up to. Obviously, everybody sees uh, the success that he's had, but he's a great dude, you know, on and off the field. You know, any questions that I've ever had, he's been right there to kind of help guide me and, you know, showing me the way. What's one thing you've learned from him, Chris? Uh, just really just, just uh, you know, that, that competitive edge and, and using your size. Um, obviously, Mike's a really big guy, and, you know, I, I think I'm – obviously, I'm not as big as Mike, but I like to think of myself as a physical guy. So just kind of like using that size to our advantage. He's not upset with you for taking all his targets and touchdowns the first two weeks of the season? <laughs> nah, man. Mike, Mike he's, a, he's a selfless dude, man. The only thing he's worried about is winning. <laughs> and you did get the win last week against Carolina. What about working with Jameis in the final season of his contract? What have you seen from him in terms of growth? I've seen a ton of stuff, man. I mean, obviously, the first thing that jumps off the, you know, that jumps off at you about Jameis is, you know, his his uh, charisma. You know, obviously, he's a he's a natural born leader. He's gonna go out there and he's gonna give you his all. You know, you, that's one thing you know about him is win, lose or draw. You know that uh, that you're gonna get Jameis's uh, all of his heart. You know, and I think uh, one thing that he's done really good this year is kind of just like leading us. You know, and just staying in the moment, not worrying about the previous play, not worrying about the next play, but the play that we're on right now. You know, Chris, the Buccaneers haven't made the playoffs since 2007. Were you aware of that? Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I think I think I've heard that in passing. <laughs> what would it mean to you to get back to the postseason or to reach the postseason for the first time in your career? Honestly, I, I think it'd be awesome. You know, uh, that obviously we we all play this game to win, and if if we're going to reach our ultimate goal, you know, of winning the Super Bowl, we have to uh, you know reach the playoffs first. So I, I think that'd be a big step for this franchise and and for us, you know, as a team. Before you became the 84th overall pick in the third round of the 2017 NFL Draft, Chris, you were at Penn State where you had 153 catches for over 2,400 yards and 18 touchdowns. You also played there with Saquon Barkley, who the Buccaneers face on Sunday. What what did you learn from Saquon? What did you see about his game that told you that he would be the kind of star that he is at this level? <laughs> um I mean, honestly, uh, like everybody obviously sees the, um, you know, his physical gifts. You know, he's very athletic. 
you know, there's there's not much that he can't do on the football field. But I think the the thing that we really noticed at Penn State was, you know, his his competitive edge and his and his work ethic was second to none. You know, he's gonna go out there. He wants to be the best. You know, he he wants to be the best at anything he's doing, whether he's playing Connect Four or he's on the football field. And you know, for him to have the athletic gifts that he has and that and that mentality, you knew that there was something special brewing. What do you remember most about playing with him? Is there one memory, one story, one incident that you could say this symbolizes the kind of guy and player that Saquon Barkley is? I don't know if it was, you know, necessarily like like one one instance that you know that I really remember. I think obviously like like the first time that we really like recognized that he was going to be something special was uh, I think his freshman year we were playing Buffalo and like that was the first time he had jumped over somebody. And we we're like, man, this kid's <laughs> got it. And then you know, and then you see his leadership stuff off the field, and you're like, all right, like he he, he really has all the tools. Chris, are you telling me that you've never jumped over somebody during a game? <laughs> man, I, I don't know if I would dare to do that. That's that's pretty bold, man. <laughs> could you do it if you needed to do it, Chris? Oh, I think I could. I believe in myself. I believe in my athletic ability. See, I want to see on Sunday when you play the I want to see you jump over somebody there. And I want you to think of this <laughs> podcast when you do jump over somebody. I got you. <laughs> if we could get that done. I don't make many requests on podcasts for guys. But that's the request yeah. that I'm putting out there for you to jump over somebody, vault over somebody on Sunday. Uh, I would I would definitely keep that in mind. Now, I don't know if you heard the news about the other vaulting that's gone on in New York, but Daniel Jones has vaulted over Eli Manning on the Giants quarterback depth chart. What is it like when word of that change hits your building in a week where you're preparing to face the Giants? Did you hear that news today? Um, this is honestly the the first that I'm hearing about it, but I mean if if I know our defense, um you know, like the way that they that they approach the game, I I think uh, I I don't know if it necessarily changes much. You know, I think either way, like those are those are two very capable quarterbacks that you have to you know that you have to be prepared for. So then I I doubt they're going to change that preparation. I think they're they're going to have that same attack mentality regardless of who's back there. So you didn't know the news that Daniel Jones was starting, no, huh? No, I look like this is the first time I'm hearing about it. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, when we get off this podcast, you can go tell the defense and you bring up your defense. And your team's defense last year was not very good. But this year, it's been very good. You practice yes, against them every day. What to you has been the biggest difference in the defense from last year to this year? I, I think I think their their mentality, you know, is 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 awesome this year. I think, like I said, they they have that attack mentality, and and you can tell that they're all on the same page. You know, I think Coach Bose has done a really good job of of getting these guys unified and getting these guys on the same page and understanding what like how we're trying to attack offenses. Um, and, and all the guys really bought in. You know, I think that I think that's a testament to, like I said, to Coach Bowles, but also, you know, to the to the leadership guys on, you know, on defense, kind of keeping everybody together and pulling the rope in the same direction. Uh, Chris, there are, like I said, fourteen games left. You're off to a torrid start so far. What do you have in mind for the remainder of the season for what you can do? Uh, I, I, honestly, I feel like I have so much room to grow. Um, you know, I've I, I recognized that I've I've done some good things so far, but. I feel like I'm like I'm only scratching the surface, and I'm I'm excited about about the potential for my growth. But I also understand that you know that's not going to come without hard work. You know, so I, I'm a, a keep approaching this the same way I've always have, and, and just take it one day at a time, and just try to keep improving, try to learn from my mistakes, so that you know, like I said, when I get out the game day, I'm trying to have you know trying to have a lot of fun and try to you know play play worry free. Well, Chris, I appreciate taking the time today. Good luck against the Giants on Sunday. Good luck for the remainder of the season, and good luck vaulting over some Giants, helpless Giants defensive back on Sunday. <laughs> I appreciate you having me on. There's the Buccaneers wide receiver, Chris Godwin. Before we get to ESPN, Stats Maven Evan Kaplan, first a word from ZipRecruiter.
Hiring can be a slow process. Cafe El Torres COO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. So he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. Cap Hit. Cap Hits with Evan Kaplan, our statistical colleague and friend here at ESPN. And Evan, we were just talking about how crazy it's been in the NFL. You ever seen a stretch like this? It's been nutty, right? It's, it's been unbelievable. I mean, starting since when the season opened with, with the, the Bears-Packers game and, and over the last two weeks, it's it's been something new every day, injuries to trades to everything. It, it, it's run the gamut, Adam. It's it's kept things exciting in addition to all the games played on the field. Well, you you said since the season started, and at the outset of this podcast, I talked about the fact that it goes back to the preseason with everything that's happened with Antonio Brown, Andrew Luck, Jadevian Clowney, Laramie Tunsil, Minka Fitzpatrick, all the quarterback injuries, the quarterback benchings. I would venture to say that it has been about as busy uh, opening month, if we go back into the preseason, that the NFL has ever had. There was the year in 2014 where the Ray Rice video surfaced that I think was enormously significant, damaging, disconcerting, and you had all the issues, legal issues that came along with it with Adrian Peterson and Greg Hardy. And many of the other incidents that the league was dealing with. But, but this, from a football standpoint, trades, hirings, firings, retirements, trades, all that stuff. This has been different. This has been crazy. And it's almost like the NFL has taken a page from the NBA playbook. I would agree. It's something new every day. And look, you could, you were talking about Andrew Luck and some of the moves during training. You can go back to the draft and that's, as we've seen this week, that kind of set the stage for at least one of these big quarterback stories with what the Giants did in that in that draft in April. And let's go to that because on Tuesday morning, the Giants announced that they were benching Eli Manning, a two-time Super Bowl champion, for Daniel Jones. And now Daniel Jones will be going up against Tampa Bay uh, to make his first NFL start. What is your perspective on this type of move, Evan? Well, look, we were in Nashville together for the draft, and, and it was a note that I'd come up with, and you've seen a lot of places already this week. There was there was just no chance that the Giants were going to sit Daniel Jones for the entire year based on what we've seen recently. Look, I'm not saying what, the, what Dave Gettleman and the Giants were going to do, but on the recent history, 14 of the last 15 quarterbacks picked in the top six overall started at least 10 games as a rookie. You can stop right there. The only one who didn't was Jared Goff, who still started seven games as a rookie. So while I don't know if we thought it would be this soon, Daniel Jones, if he starts every game without injury, that's 14 for the rest of the season. And when you look at Eli, and I know, Earl, you talked about the the quarterback injuries, 
Eli Manning most starts in the NFL since he made his first start back in 2004. Who else is in that top five? Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger. Those three won Super Bowls in consecutive three consecutive seasons. How about that? 2007 season, Eli Manning and the Giants. 2008 season, Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. 2009 season, Drew Brees and the Saints. We won't see any of them start in week three. Huh, amazing. Now, what was that stat, 14 of the last 15? So 14 of the last 15 quarterbacks mm-hmm. picked in the top six overall mm. started at least 10 games in their rookie season. There you go, right? There you go. And and Jones looks like he will start at least 10 as well. But how about that? 2007, 8, 9, the Crazy. Year Manning, Ben, and Brees. Crazy. And none will start on Sunday. We haven't seen a week where those three quarterbacks have not been a part of the league. It's a changing of the guard in many ways. It really is. It really is. And you, But... but with all that being said, changing the guard, who is still there with his team 2-0? Tom Brady, of course. Yeah. He doesn't go away. No. Right? Other quarterbacks get nope. hurt. Other quarterbacks get benched. He's 42 yep. and just keeps going on and on. Yep. And now a home game against the Jets where he has been almost under. It, it's ridiculous his home record against the AFC East, 46-5, and including the playoffs. Five losses. One of those losses, he didn't play the second half. It was a meaningless Week 17, meaningless for the Patriots. Week 17 game uh, against the Bills. So his last loss at home against the division when he played the entire game, the 2010 divisional playoffs <laughs> with our friend Rex Ryan and the Jets when they beat them in Foxborough. Wait, so, so Tom Brady hasn't lost a divisional playoff home game in nine years? You don't even need playoff. He has not lost a game against the NFC East when he played the entire game, so a little bit of a caveat. AFC East. AFC East. He has, a, a, AFC East, sorry. He has not lost a game against the AFC East when he when he was, when they were playing the whole game, and it meant something, since the 2010 playoffs. We have to add that little caveat because of the 2017 situ, or 2014 situation when he only played the first half. But still, I mean, Jets coming up there this week... Uh, I think we would all be shocked considering the Jets quarterback situation if the Patriots don't move to 3-0. Now, we do have an unbelievable quarterback matchup this week and what is the best game of the week in my mind. Mm-hmm. The Baltimore Ravens at the Kansas City Chiefs, Lamar Jackson versus Patrick Mahomes. I think the two best stories of the NFL season so far, what do we make of that matchup? Their numbers are almost identical through two weeks this season. And you look at them, both have seven touchdown passes tied for the most in the NFL, and zero interceptions. This is, according to Elias, the first season in NFL history where two quarterbacks had seven touchdowns and no interceptions in their team's first two games of the year. So you look at the historic start for both of them, and they played a great game last year, Adam, as as we've talked about. Uh, in Kansas City, Lamar Jackson played very well, had the Ravens on the cusp of a win at Arrowhead Stadium. Mahomes led them back on a late game-tying drive. They won in overtime, the Chiefs, but certainly looking forward to this one early on Sunday. And we also have a matchup of sack leaders, Aaron Donald of the Rams, going up against Miles Garrett and the Browns. What do we make of that matchup, Evan? Yeah, on on Monday Night Football after the game with, with Susie Colber and, and Lewis Riddick and Steve Young, we had Miles Garrett on the field. They were asking him about being defensive player of the year. That's been Aaron Donald's territory the last few years miles garrett is is second in sacks over the last two seasons behind donald and they will be on the same field this sunday night in cleveland you look at the one and two players in sacks it will be very interesting to see garrett already has five sacks in two games this season look he's not aaron donald but he's off to quite a start and they're going to need that pass rush against the high-powered rams offense uh, in cleveland sunday night Hey, Evan, thanks for the great information about week three. We'll look forward to talking to you before week four. 
and enjoy the games this week. Thanks a lot, Adam. You too. And a special thanks to my colleague at ESPN, Evan Kaplan, for that tremendous insight into the Week 3 matchup. Some incredible numbers there that he came up with and gives you an idea of what we're going to see this upcoming weekend. Thank you to Chris Godwin, the Buccaneers wide receiver, who's been one of the top receivers in football this season. It looks like he's going to be that way for the remainder of the season, a real breakout star this year. And congratulations to Torrey Smith on an incredible run, rising up from everything that he's had to overcome to achieve all the success and stability that he has after a great NFL career that lasted eight seasons. We know there are many great things ahead for the great Tory Smith. And special thanks to you, the listener, for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week after we wrap up week three and look ahead to week four. Have a great week, everybody.